Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. Have you ever had a chance to meet someone famous? Uh, Some of you over the years, some of us over the years, have had opportunities to kind of pass in hallways or at places someone with a margin of fame. I think the closest I ever got to meeting someone famous was when I graduated from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and I had a chance to meet Dr. Albert Moeller at his residence there, the president's house. We walked down and saw the entire bottom level. It's his library of books that he has and owns. It's fantastic. I shook his hand, thanked him for the opportunity to attend Southern Seminary, and he probably has no memory of that event whatsoever. He doesn't know who I am or where I come from. Have you ever wondered about what it would be like to meet somebody famous? But even beyond that, how about meeting somebody famous at one of the points of human history where their fame became palpable? Think about uh, George Washington. It would have been fantastic to meet the first president of the United States. But what would it have been like to have been on that boat as he crossed over the Delaware that fateful day at that battle that he was to fight. As we think about encounters with Jesus, it would have been absolutely staggering and wonderful for any of us to have lived 2,000 years ago and crossed paths with Jesus in any scenario. But what would it have been like to have met Jesus at the very point where he was redeeming humanity? That's the story we find ourselves with today. The thief on the cross. We're in Luke chapter 23, and we're going to discover this encounter with Jesus between the thieves that he was uh, crucified in between, and in particular, the one thief that responded to the identity and the glory of Jesus. Chapter 23, verse 32. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. We're going to explore particularly what this story teaches us about conversion. But it tells us a couple of things theologically that I just want to get out of the way and make sure that we're clear on. First it tells us that uh, uh, something about the destiny of those who believe in Jesus. When you put your faith and trust in Christ, uh, when you die, you go to be in the presence of God. Jesus said to the thief here, Today you will be with me in paradise. Some have wondered over the years what takes place in between death and the resurrection. Uh, that would be the intermediate state of the blessed. 
B.B. Uh, Warfield puts it this way, that the intermediate state of the blessed dead, although imperfect when compared with their final state, when the whole man shall partake of divine glory, is, apart from that comparison, unspeakably blissful and to be infinitely desired and longed for by every Christian soul. On Friday of this week, we had the privilege uh, and the morning celebration of uh, Miss Norma Jean Burnett here at Wilkesboro Baptist Church. A godly dear saint, a sweet lady, who believed that when she went to, uh, when she died on Monday afternoon, she went to the very presence of the Lord. And I think this text teaches us that when Jesus said, Today you will be with me. So when a saint goes to be in heaven or goes to be with God, it may not be the final state, what we read about in Revelation. It's certainly not the resurrected state when our bodies meet our souls, but it is a state of being with Jesus. This text also teaches us something about the doctrine of salvation and baptism. We're a Baptist church for a reason. We believe that it means, and I'll talk about this at the end of our sermon, it is important that if you trust Jesus to be your Savior, you follow through publicly with baptism. But we are also not a church, not a doctrinal church, that believes that baptism is necessary for salvation. Baptism is an outward statement and profession of an inward public decision to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. This man on the cross could not be baptized. That was not possible before his death, and yet he still made it into the very presence of God. The story also teaches us that while Jesus was on the cross dying for the sins of the world, He cared about the sins of one man. We're going to look at what does conversion look like from the cross. Why was this thief converted when the other was not? There were lots of people around the cross that day. There were religious leaders who mocked. There were soldiers who crucified Jesus and also mocked Jesus. There were crowds that watched. There were some disciples that were far off. There was certainly His mother and John were there watching the events take place on the cross. But there were those two criminals, those that were crucified on His right and on His left. Matthew and Mark's gospel tell us that both criminals railed at Jesus and mocked Jesus. Luke's account is the only one that tells us that one of those criminals kind of changed tune at some point while he was hanging on the cross. I'm not entirely sure why. The text doesn't give us a specific indication why he changed or why he was converted in terms of, the, uh, of what motivated that. But it does tell us that he was converted. To be converted is to experience several things. Very simple things, things that are found in other places of Scripture, but I believe this conversion was genuine because it is, it is explained in the frame of reference. Excuse me. God, man, Christ, and response. It's discovered in His response to Jesus there on the cross. First of all, to be converted is to fear God. To be converted is to fear God. The one thief was railing against Jesus, mocking Jesus, telling Jesus, if you're the Christ, why don't you get off the cross? Why don't you <coughs> save yourself? Why don't you save yourself and save us too? Take us with you. And the thief that was converted said, do you not fear God? Listen, to fear God is a necessary precursor to coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ. What is the fear of God? It is the fear of His holiness. It is the fear of His greatness and His glory. John Bunyan, the, the great author who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, wrote several other books. In one book he wrote on the very subject of the fear of God. He spent 
several chapters discussing what the fear of God was not and what the fear of God was. And there are all sorts of types of fears that you and I have. There are fears that we're going to die and fears that things are going to happen to us that almost never happen to us. The wishful thinking or the fearful thinking, the conditional fears... The fear of God, though, is a recognition of His greatness. It's a recognition of His glory. It's a recognition of His holiness. And folks, I just want to tell you, if you read through the testimony of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, we discover a God that is worthy of our bowing our knees before Him. We discover a God who is great in His judgments, great in His glories, great in His redemptive work. (laughs) He is worth us fearing bowing before Him in holy adoration. He is to be feared. We're not entirely sure why this man feared God on the cross. text doesn't tell us that. Maybe he, he got involved in thievery because of peer pressure. Maybe he got in with the wrong crowd in the period of his teenage years. Maybe he was drawn away of some accord and fell into evil, sinful behavior and justifiably hanging on the cross for his crimes. But at some point there on the cross, he understood that he needed to fear the God that he was about to meet. Bunyan put it this way. He said, though there is not always grace where there is fear of hell, yet to be sure there is no grace where there is no fear of God. Folks, in order to enter into a relationship with a living God, a holy God, a righteous God. We need to fear Him. We need to recognize that He holds our very lives and souls, our very eternity in His hands. It is to Him that we pray and praise. To be converted is to fear God. To be converted is also to confess sinfulness. And this man did confess his sinfulness in the conversation back and forth with the other thief. He said, do you not realize that we're here justifiably? We're paying for the crimes that we have committed. He said to the other thief, you're not innocent and I'm not innocent. We deserve to be here hanging on the cross. Now to be fair and to be sure, not every single one of us has done worthy sins of being punished by death. Maybe we shouldn't be hung on a cross. Maybe we shouldn't be sent to the electric chair. Maybe we should not die in that fashion or in that way. But this thief realized that he was a sinner. He realized that the reason he was hanging on the cross that day was because of something he had done. Thievery or some kind of evil he had done that justifiably he was being punished for his sinfulness. Folks, to be converted is to confess sinfulness. Now, while you and I may not have done so much worthy of being hung on a cross... We have done plenty, done anything sinful that separates us from a holy God. B.B. Warfield puts it this way. He says, we are but miserable sinners. That is, we are always but pardoned criminals. In fact and in act, we are continuously sinful and in need of unbroken penitence throughout life. Our problem lies in what we are, not simply in what we do. Sin, therefore, is a quality which entrenched in the heart affects all of our actions without exception. It is not a question of which of our actions are sinful and which are not. Everything we do is tainted. We will never be truly perfect until our hearts are perfect. Folks, let me just tell you right now, right here in this moment, we are all sinful. 
You may not have stolen something that didn't belong to you. You may not have murdered someone. You may not have acted unfaithfully to a spouse or to a friend. You may not have betrayed someone. But you're sinful through and through. I am sinful through and through. And to be converted is to confess sinfulness. And the thief on the cross acknowledged before God, Jesus right there hanging next to him, before man, the other thief, before the crowds that were watching, he acknowledged his sinfulness. To be converted is to confess sinfulness and realize that deservedly so, he was experiencing judgment. Thirdly, to be converted is to testify truthfully about Christ. And this thief did that. Don't know exactly how he knew exactly what he knew about Christ, but he did testify truthfully about Christ while he was on the cross. He said to the thief, don't you realize we're here justifiably, but this man is innocent. I think in that sense, the thief said more than he knew. I don't necessarily think the thief thought Jesus was perfectly sinless, but he did realize that Jesus didn't deserve to be hanging there on the cross. In fact, on a number of occasions, with Pilate, with Herod, and even with one of the Roman soldiers later on in chapter 23, the innocence of Jesus was testified by all of those individuals. Luke goes to great pains to make it very clear that even in the context of Jesus' crucifixion, the powers that were, Pilate, Herod, the Roman centurions, and even the thief on the cross, recognized that Jesus didn't deserve to be on the cross. And he didn't go there as a martyr, he went there as a substitute. Nevertheless, the thief understood that he was innocent of any crime that would take him to the cross. So he testified truthfully about Jesus. Listen, it is not necessary for us to know everything possible about Christ before we experience conversion. But what we believe about Christ and what we testify about Him must be both truthful and sufficient. I think in this case, truthful and sufficient means, looking back at least, we need to realize that Jesus Christ is the living Son of God. He's God in human flesh, fully man and fully God, who died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead so that we could have eternal life. In order for us to experience conversion, we have to testify and believe truthfully about Jesus Christ. And the thief did that. He acknowledged that Jesus was innocent. Maybe because, just in prior moments, Jesus had the audacity, can you believe this? To say to the Father, pray to the Father on the cross, Father, forgive them. For they don't have any idea what they're doing. Maybe Jesus' words in that moment struck a chord in the heart of that thief hanging on the cross and and helped him recognize that this man was different than any other man. This man was someone that he needed to follow. This man was someone that he needed to believe in. Listen, in order to be converted, we need to testify truthfully about Christ. Fourthly, we need to respond to what we've seen and heard about God, about ourselves, about Jesus Christ. To be converted is to trust God and ask for salvation. To put our faith in God alone, to depend on Him as Jesus, as as our Savior, as our substitute, and ask for salvation. I want you to grasp the audacity of this for just a moment. The thief looked over at Jesus and said to Him, When you enter into your kingdom, where did He get that from? Well, the testimony there on the cross had been that Jesus is King. 
even above his crucifix on his cross was the statement he was the king of the Jews. The reason he was being railed at is because of his claim to be king. Jesus wasn't a king in a geopolitical sense. He wasn't trying to raise an army to overthrow the Roman government, but he was a king with a kingdom, a king with a gospel kingdom that was going to redeem the hearts of sinful men. And, and I don't know exactly what the thief knew or thought he knew about Jesus' kingdom. But he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Undeserving. Do you get that? Undeserving. He knew he was hanging on the cross for reasons that he had earned. Undeserving. The thief had the audacity. This man who had not lived a life worthy of being a Christian, had not lived a life worthy of someone else following in his footsteps, had not surrendered to God prior to his death hanging there on the cross, had the audacity in the last moments of his life to look to Jesus and say, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I think what's even more striking is Jesus' response today. You'll be with me in paradise. And some of us sit and think, that's unfair. That is so unfair. How in the world could God, how in the world could Jesus save a man who is rightfully hanging on a cross next to him? Why would he do that? That is so unfair. I just want to tell you something. If you confess your sins before Jesus and ask him to save you, that is also so unfair. See, we're not saved because we somehow live a good life and we behave decently enough for a period of years. God doesn't save us because we somehow do enough good deeds. Certainly wasn't the case with this thief on the cross. The reason God saved through Jesus the thief on the cross is the thief on the cross feared God. The thief on the cross confessed his own sinfulness. The thief on the cross testified truthfully about Christ. And the thief on the cross had the humility to ask Jesus for redemption. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me. Where? In paradise. The word paradise echoes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. A place where there is respite. A place where there is repose. A place where there is rest. A place where there is provision. Jesus said to the thief there that day, you will be with me where I am going in paradise. So to be converted is to ask Jesus to be our Savior and Lord. There's a beautiful picture here. What Jesus did to offer this thief salvation and forgiveness. And if you're here today and you've trusted Jesus to be your Savior, I just want you to think about yourself in light of the fact that the thief on the cross responded to Jesus. He responded to Jesus by fearing God. He responded to Jesus by testifying truthfully, by acknowledging his own sinfulness, and by asking for salvation. Folks, we've done nothing less than that if we've genuinely come to a faith relationship with Jesus Christ. We've had an opportunity to look at the cross and respond in a humble fashion as the thief did. But he's not the only one that responded, or he's not the only one that had a response to the cross. The soldiers gave Jesus sour wine and mocked him. The religious leaders mocked Jesus as they were standing there. I mean, how awful was it? Would it have been to be one of those who was the reason, the effective reason, Jesus went to the cross and then stand there while he is dying just a few feet from their faces and continue to mock him as he hung there, humiliated, acting as our substitute and sacrifice. 
But that's not really the, the folks that I'm concerned most of us are like. The Bible also tells us that the crowds were there. And they watched. Can't tell you how many of those crowd members watched and then down the road made some kind of response to Christ. How terrible would it have been to have been somebody who watched Jesus hang on the cross and not respond to His death on the cross for salvation. Don't you see what God did here in this text? He did something utterly amazing. Consider His gracious sovereignty in this event. We all know, we've heard this preached and taught before, that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world. And He did. While He was there hanging on the cross, He was acting as our substitute, taking our place. God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Jesus there in that moment was dying for the sins of the world, your sins and my sins, and offering us a way to receive forgiveness and salvation. But I want you to consider the gracious sovereignty of God that brought the thief to his day of judgment the same day that he brought Jesus to his day of substitution. As God sovereignly orchestrated the events of redemption for the world, He graciously orchestrated the events of redemption for one man. Think about this for a second. God was concerned for the sins of the world. Millions and billions of people from Wilkes County to Vienna, Austria, from the, from the, the far west of the United States to the far east of the world. Jesus died so that people all over the world could experience salvation. And yet, as He was acting as a substitute that would bring salvation to billions of people worldwide, God planned for that thief to suffer judgment that day so he would be next to the only one who could forgive him of his sins. I want to tell you something. I think later on, maybe not in the moment, I think later on that thief was like, thank God that was my judgment day. Thank God that was my cross. Thank God that was the place I went to suffer judgment. If he had been crucified the day before, he would have been in eternity separated from God. And crucified a day later, he would have been in eternity separated from God. But he was crucified next to the one that could save him and that could redeem him. I'm going to tell you something, folks. God is sovereignly orchestrating the events around us to bring people to salvation because that's his purpose in the world. I'll tell you a story that just happened recently in my own life. We were getting ready to go away on a, on a week of vacation. And I had called and asked for some mulch to be delivered at my house. It had been a year or two since I had spread some mulch around my house and some places that needed mulch. And it had been several months since I made that call and that request. And finally, I get a call on a Wednesday, which is not really the best day of my life to experience a call that mulch is being delivered. I got a call on a Wednesday before we were to leave on vacation on a Friday. And a big dump truck load of mulch was headed to my house. 
And I'm just going to be honest with you, share a little bit, confess a little bit to you as, as your pastor. I love what I get to do here. I get to read and study and pray and think and counsel and share and minister to you. But most of my job is not physical. In fact, the great majority of what I do is spiritual and emotional and psychological. And, and I love that I get to do that. But there are times it's really helpful for me healthy as a human and, and helpful for me to have some physical labor, to get some sweat equity in life. Some of you understand what I'm talking about. It's one of the reasons I try to run and mow my own grass. And I'm just going to be honest with you, I'm kind of picky about how my mulch is spread. And so I, when mulch is delivered, I like to be able to spread my own mulch. Okay? Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's difficult. But that's just kind of, I like to do that. And basically that means it takes me a little while to get a big dump truck load of mulch spread. Problem was, because of the size of the truck and the dew on the grass that morning, they couldn't put it where it needed to be put in my mulch bed. They had to put it in my driveway. And so I had to get like a ton of mulch distributed in two days. And I was a little perturbed. I mean, internally I was a little frustrated by, by the circumstance, not going to be able to do this. My wife, being the wise, godly woman that she is, recognized that I needed some help. So she called uh, a lady that attends church here. Her sons had helped out with a project with some other folks. And got Tyler Birch to come help us. Uh, help me on that, when, that Thursday morning, move some mulch. And she had said in passing something to one of our deacons here, Alan Whittington, about spread mulch. And evidently he likes to spread mulch too. So Alan showed up on Thursday and Tyler showed up on Thursday to help spread mulch. And I'm, I'm just going to be honest, there was a little bit of me that morning that was like, I just want to put some headphones in, listen to an audio book, uh, listen to some music, sweat a little bit, move mulch, but I knew there was no way I could get it all done. It wasn't what God wanted anyway. He was orchestrating some events that were far bigger and more amazing than I can imagine. So during that day of distributing mulch, Tyler and I shoveled mulch into wheelbarrows and we took it to Alan and Alan spread it. While we did that, I had an opportunity to talk to Tyler about some things going on in his life and I asked him about his faith, I asked him about his heart, I asked him about his life and about salvation. And he started to ask me questions and tell me where his heart was and tell me that he knew he wasn't a follower of Jesus. And he asked me a whole lot of questions about theology and apologetics and philosophy and things that were going on in his heart and in his life. And it was very evident to me that this was a God moment, that God orchestrated the events of mulch and the events of help and Alan moving, spreading the mulch so Tyler and I could have about a two-hour conversation while we were moving mulch on that Thursday afternoon. Left him with some things to think about and pray on. And this past Wednesday, we met again for coffee and talked with him about his faith and what he had heard and what God was doing in his life. And after about 45 minutes of conversation, I looked at him and I said, Tyler, what's stopping you from following Jesus? His answer was, I don't guess anything is. I'm ready to become a follower of Jesus today. He put his faith and trust in Christ as Lord and Savior. I'm going to baptize him next Sunday morning here at Wilkesboro Baptist Church. All because God was orchestrating events that I couldn't see to bring at least one person to salvation and a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Christian, I want you to hear me. What is God doing in your life? What is He orchestrating to use you to tell the message of Jesus to someone who needs the gospel? I promise you he's working behind the scenes. I promise you he's doing some things 
It's our job, even sometimes as grumpily as it takes, for us to get along board with what God is doing. It's up to us to see what He's doing and join Him and share His good news. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you haven't yet trusted Jesus to be your Savior. But God orchestrated the events that brought you here this morning. What has He done in your life to bring you to this day so you could hear the gospel, so you could trust Jesus to be your Savior? If He's done that, and if you know He's working in your heart and life, what's stopping you from becoming a follower of Jesus? The only thing you have to do, like that thief did, is go to Jesus and say, will you remember me? Will you save me? Will you forgive me so that I can have eternal life? Stand with me, if you will. Father, we come to you. I thank you, Lord, for the way you orchestrated the events of the crucifixion so that this thief could experience salvation. But I thank you for what you did in Tyler's life, bringing him to a faith relationship with yourself. I thank you, Lord, for the way that you worked in my life to be able to use me. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would use us as followers of Christ to share the good news of your son Jesus who died so that we could have life. If there's one here or many that need to follow you today, I pray that they trust you. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us as Christians to have open eyes and tender hearts, ready and willing to share the good news of your son Jesus with those that you are working in behind the scenes to bring to faith in yourself. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.